2020 was one of the hottest years ever, and it brought to an More end the warmest decade ever. More than 15,000 scientists are sounding an alarm about climate change. They call it a Says warning. the effect of global warming is so severe, the region is actually shifting to They've a different climate. They've also found they had underestimated the rate of change, Ford meaning experts their predictions say that we have, have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. It 2020 was the hottest year on record. Changes are not made, and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Hello and welcome to My Green Podcast. I'm Jarvis Smith. I'm Katie Hill. And I'm Joe Wood. This is the show about living a sustainable, ethical life without drastically altering your lifestyle or blowing up your bank account. Everything from quality green products and where to get them. To easy changes you can make now to help make this world a healthier place. Later in the show, we'll be joined by the twin champions of sustainable fashion, Brett and Scott Staniland. But first, let's have a look at some of the recent green news. Ah, well, there's only one story that is relevant right now, and it's got to be COP26. You know, it's currently taking place in Glasgow until the 12th of November. Started, you know, just a few days ago. Oh, so major announcements. Let's look at those because, you know, this is where everybody who is in charge of something goes to basically just kind of show off the thing that they're going to get behind when it comes to the Paris Agreement. So here's a big one. $130 trillion plan to move world finances to green energy. 130 trillion, that's more money than is even currently in the planetary system. So (laughs) what the the jiggins, as my daughter would say. We've got to be really clear about this figure because it's not ready funds. Even the FTs jumped on this and said that, you know, the market capitalization of all the world stock markets is only about $120 trillion. I say only, but you know, it's just a massive dizzying, headline grabbing figure and it refers to the total assets that are managed by a group of banks and asset managers that have now pledged to meet the goals set out in the Paris Climate Agreement and this it's a group and that's called the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero championed by Mike Carney who was we know was the governor of the Bank of England. Yeah. There's 450 members HSBC and Santander are in there and together they represent 40% of the world's financial assets. So at, so at 40%, even if we worked on this, this uh, you know, kind of illusionary figure of stock market, which is saying 120 trillion, like 40% is still nowhere, you know, it's like, well, what is it? Uh, less than less than half of that figure. So, so what what is it? Is it just a, a just a grabbing headline that's going on? Well, I mean, they've pledged that they're going to need to use science-based guidelines to reach net zero emissions by mid-century. I think the biggest thing for a lot of people is that firms are still going to be able to lend to fossil fuel companies so you know i don't yeah. uh, i mean global fossil fuel subsidies were 5.9 trillion dollars last year so you know this if they can still do that if they can still lend to the very problem saying that they're going to align with paris and that zero is just it's just so much money in the mind boggles you just can't i can't get my head around it but what are they going to do with it? Like, seriously, what are they going to do with it? Yeah, and I'll tell you what I get annoyed about as well. Money, if you look at money, it's a man-made concept. 
Yeah. It's like it's not the thing that is going to get us out of this crisis. It is only the thing that's going to get us out of this crisis if we continue to stay in the system that is killing us, which is economics and, and, and you know, so capitalism. With that trillions and trillions, are they going to plant the rainforest? Well, interesting you say it, because actually there's another pledge if we want to move on to the next one, which is 100 countries have pledged to reverse deforestation by 2030. So that is an it's an amazing thing if it were to happen, which is saving what we've got, not committing to any more deforestation and replanting. There's a there's a one trillion tree campaign that all of these big companies have, have signed up to. But you look at the small print and a lot of the companies are the ones that are behind you know, animal feeds, you know, soy, you know, ripping down forests for, for soy and growing soy. And, you know, there's a lot of what I would describe as greenwashing going on here. This is the 100 countries, isn't it? But I think that the thing is also 2030 is it's a long way away, isn't it? The Amazon is already emitting more carbon than it's absorbing. In you know, some parts, not in, in all so, parts. No, not in all parts. But I just think, you know, in, in by 2030, what's it going to be like then? Yeah, and I also, true. you know, we all remember the New York Declaration on Forests, which was this voluntary, legally non-binding agreement on deforestation in 2014. And it just didn't work. It Herbie is not happy about this at all, is he? He wants He's the like, trees. He wants he, the trees. But don't we have to talk with the Brazilian government? To, they're the mm. ones that are chopping down the trees. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not just not Brazil. Just, they are really, but, really yeah. bad. But but yeah. they are really bad. You know, when we're at the at the P Awards recently, we had um, Atosa Sultani, who is the head of the Amazon Watch. She's a CEO That's of Amazon great. Watch. She was amazing, right? But she she's fast. also got this other project. Um, and she was saying that, you know, we are at the absolutely most critical point now that if if so, if it, this isn't stopped today, or then this was like two weeks ago, and 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 they start replenishing and re, re, restoring the forest now, it's like beyond repair. It's like already, she was saying it's the not only the lungs, but the heart of the planet. Yeah. What was it she said? How many football pitches are cut down every day? 750? Yeah, it was something like 410 a minute. Oh, oh. Yeah, Unreal. I mean, it's like really ridiculous, like crazy, 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 crazy figures. OK, so look, we know that that is going to be amazing if it happens, but it's like it needs to start today. Yesterday. Oh. Yeah, yesterday. Well, a decade yeah. ago. All right, so moving on. So a pledge to cut methane. This was another big, big story. A pledge to cut methane by 30% by 2030. Russia, China, India have not signed up to this. Why not? Well, I mean, it's a very, very good question, but partly because they do not want to commit to the Paris Agreement uh, because they are still industrialising their economies. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the, the thing that causes the methane is very much a part of that economic growth. Well, the they're also trying to lift their, their uh, citizens out of poverty as well, which is, you know, yes. it's very difficult to do when you're when you're also cutting emissions. But I think this methane reduction 
I think it was the US and the European Union that put that forward, wasn't it, to cut, by, to cut it by 30% by 2030. And it's a really effective way to make a very short, sharp impact on global heating. And I think it's a great idea because it will actually keep that 1.5 degree limit set out in the Paris Agreement within reach. It'll give us, it'll give everybody a bit of hope yeah. because I think there's, um, methane is about 80 times more potent than CO2. Yeah. And, um, and we haven't ever really looked at livestock and the open pit coal mines that cause methane before so it's a really really great and effective quick fix to keep warming down just just a bit i think yeah. i think it would shave off 0.3 degrees off the projected warming so it's not loads but it's it's quick and all the technology is yeah. available they've yeah. said all the technology that we need to do this is we've got it yeah you know there's why not i mean why not why wouldn't you do it yeah so this is a good one i remember reading something about this there's a i can't remember which which uh, scandinavian country it is but one of the countries have basically been able to train cows to uh, reduce their chumping uh, no. factors no yeah honestly no. honestly <laughs> and, and and trump into certain devices to capture the methane <laughs> they just walk around with it it's not april fool's day is that for real no, no this is true oh you know what i'm gonna find the notes and we'll put it we'll put it in the um we'll put it in the i'm gonna find the link and we'll put it in the notes yeah so I, th I thought that was hilarious and i think one of the big politicians did make reference i think it was boris actually in one of his speeches um, anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> windily moving on, <laughs> <laughs> whistling through. That was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> so India have set aggressive targets for low carbon power by 2030, but they are obviously still massively supporting coal. So come on, Katie, what do you know about this? So India has announced that it's going to get half of its energy from renewables by 2030. And that alone would cut carbon emissions by a billion tonnes. But um, India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi has said that he wants a trillion dollars to make it happen. He wants a trillion dollars oh, available nice. in climate finance. Well, it, uh, yeah, it's one, yeah. Uh, it is the third biggest emitter of carbon, India. Um, and it is has it? also set the most distant net zero target of any G20 nation. It's said that it's going to... Um, be net zero by 2070 so it's 20 years later than the key 2050 date well you know what let's look at this let's just just flip this a minute back to trillions because I, I think this number is really important so i don't know if any of you saw that lady mia motley who is the prime minister of barbados did one of the opening speeches on the opening day at cop 26 and one of the things that really struck a chord with me was that um 25 trillion dollars has been created through quantitative easing, and nine trillion of that has been created through quantitative easing just during the pandemic. So within the last 18 months to two years. So just look at trillions and then think about money and then think about what's the sustainability of that money. Basically, the printers can just print whatever figure they actually like, because that's essentially how we bailed ourselves out of the, the pandemic. So it's like, it's it's just... Not surprised he's asking for a trillion dollars because he knows that, you know, somebody could print it and make it happen. But it's also an investor. The thing is, it's not you're just not you're not just giving a trillion dollars to somebody. There's a massive you, there's a massive opportunity in clean energy for the jobs, for technology, yeah. for, for, you know, it's not just a gift, is it? I mean, no. it's just something that has to happen. And I think it, it's just in the same breath. South Africa was to get six billion 
pounds, I think, from France, Germany, and UK to, and the US to ditch coal. Yeah. So obviously, you know, we are there is some climate finance available from from other G20 nations, and we are yeah. supporting that transition. Um, a trillion dollars in India, obviously a much bigger population. South Africa, 80% of its power comes from coal, but it's still not generating enough. They have, they've been having these planned blackouts in South Africa for about a decade, I think, because they just want to ease pressure off the electricity grid. Mm. Um, so they're they still- They've all you know, got to go solar. Yeah, they've all got to go solar. They've all got to go, they've, they've all just got to, yeah, just change, the, change their energy mix a bit. The contribution of coal in South Africa, they're hoping it's going to get down to 60% by 2030. But with this extra money, the six million extra, six, sorry, six billion extra, they'll be able to go much further than that. So yeah. that's that's great. No, it is good. It is good. I do appreciate that things have to be financed, particularly in the current system that we've got. And money, it seems, is the only thing that's going to buy out the uh, the old way of doing things. And it's exactly the same as what happened, you know, back in the days of slavery. You know, the only way you could shut down some of those big organisations was actually to buy them out and give them the money that they would have been getting from the business model so i do get it but it just feels a bit it just feels a bit disconnected from nature and disconnected from what our natural world is capable of doing and human behavior is obviously impacting at a great catastrophic pressure on our planet and actually if we just changed our behavior even if it was just for the next eight or nine years and lived in a kind of lockdown type way but with the view of building something for our future generations surely we could do things in a very different way uh, but I know that's a, a, ho- a holistic, spiritually hippie way of doing things. But I guess that's who I am. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. I think we need to change the way we live. And uh, and I think we need to get rid of all these corrupt companies that are so powerful. I mean, how do you do that? Well, yeah, we've got to, we've got to revolt. Revolt, yeah. yeah you you revolt. revolt and you, you boycott them and... You get all your family to boycott them and then you get all, you know, all their friends to and you buy, you know, you know, you get everybody to buy into brands that are genuinely in it for good. I think we should end on a on a bit of a hopeful note. Let's talk about Greta Thunberg, who who, you know, did you did you see her speech? No, I didn't see it. No. So, you know, this is somebody that is, uh, you know, a young person basically saying why do we go to school because you know what's the point of learning the stuff that you're trying to teach us when there's probably not going to be a planet to live on and then all these young activists that have really been inspired by by Greta and you know the the Fridays movement you know what what do you what can you imagine what these young people are thinking right now in the way that adults are treating the planet and and you know all all the commodities of the world it's just it's just diabolical yeah, it's, it is disgusting that we are have done to this planet and our grand, my grandchildren, I, I just, my, I mean, my kids not so bad, but my grandchildren, I feel for, look at your kids. What kind of world is it going to be? Well, it's why we do what we do. It's why we do what we do. And it's like, you know, it's, yeah. all we, we can do is it. just keep doing it, can't we? Yeah, just got to keep it out there and, and make it, so cool to be sustainable and green they know it and the younger the younger kids know it don't they they do i'm gonna i'm gonna end on this note because uh, if it's all right i've been working with a, a school um uh, up in glasgow right and they're year what are they um five and six and seven year olds and they wrote this letter and I, I will i will send a picture but they wrote this letter for me to take up to cop 26 and it says 
to the people with the power to help us. How would you feel if you lived in a world with loads of terrible hurricanes, storms, droughts, forest fires and flooding that ruined homes, towns and forests and people were dying in them? How would you feel if the taps stopped giving water and not enough food could be grown to feed everyone? How would you feel if your town was underwater? How would you feel if thousands of people were dying from the hot weather and being poor? That's what it could be like when, you, when we are your age. But we don't have the power to stop it. You do. If you don't do something huge by 2030, it could be too late. We will only be 15 years old by then. You are not doing enough. Stop being greedy and selfish. Help us. We are depending on you. Don't let us down. From primary, Carmel's primary school. And that is all signed by the 15 or so students. Oh, are... isn't that lovely? God, it's Aww. awful though, isn't it? They've got such a clear grasp of exactly what's around the corner for them. These are five, six and seven-year-olds. It's just heartbreaking. Ten like, of them, actually. About, I know. It's like taking their innocence away. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like, what, what, like, could you, I can't even get my head around what it must be like to be that age with that kind of pressure. It's just, so come on, people, we've got to change our behavior. We can do the small things in our world. You know, we can, you know, switch to 100% renewable energy. We can shop uh, from brands and platforms like My Green Pod that give back to nature when you take by planting trees in the tropics, which sequester carbon 10 times more than planting a tree in Scotland or England or anywhere else. And, you know, just really, really think about your life choices because that is what's going to change things. So we have pulled apart COP a little bit and talked about some of the things that have been announced yet. Obviously, there were no agreements. It's still going on. So we'll bring you an update on our next podcast. now time to talk about our regular feature let's talk about six and six easy steps anyone can make to lead a more sustainable life okay and today we're going to look at step four again how we travel oh this is the big one this is the big one so going back to cop 26 for a moment we have to mention the 400 private planes that were used by delegates to travel to scotland and the fact that boris johnson had to fly back to London last night to have a meeting with a journalist completely not related to COP26. So it was more about uh, the scandal that's going on in the Conservative Party at the moment, which I'm sure you all know about, and, and then flew back up to COP26. So, I mean, come on, this is just ridiculous. It's disgusting it's and I'm furious. Yeah, and Why also, couldn't they have got, got the train up there? Well, they've made that all of that. They've also, you know, the fact that you have to get the shuttle and you have to walk there. And there was that poor representative who had a wheel, who was in a wheelchair, wasn't able to get because it wasn't wheelchair friendly because everything was walking and everything was about this shuttle. And then you've got all these private jets flying out and in. It's, it's classic, classic, classic. One rule for you. And one, one rule, rule for, for us. And we, have, we, have, we are seeing this repeatedly in politics, you know, with the pandemic, with, you know, I mean, it's it's just disgusting. And the fact is, man-made laws 
as we're seeing very clearly at the moment, can be, are broken by those that make them in the first place, right? If we get back to natural laws, the laws of nature, then of course we're in a completely uh, balanced. Why couldn't they've done a Zoom in... this year? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's bad. I think it they did bad. do a lot on Zoom actually. Just to, I mean, I'm not defending them, but I think they did a in the in the run up. In the run-up, they had loads of Zoom meetings, but I do agree that you need to look into the whites of someone's eyes. If you've got, if you're trying to get these agreements over the line, you have to be there in person. If you've got to convince people to sign up to, to oh, I just you have you. I, I don't believe you can do that over Zoom. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. You're right. I think you're right. There were certain things that do call for action of people coming together, but the mitigation of carbon emissions through travel could have been thought out in a much better way right well maybe they don't maybe that is actually the one journey that's worthwhile you know do they need to be making all of the other journeys in private jets no 100 percent not but is this the one journey that perhaps they should have made well let's look at joe biden as an example he not only brought over a huge entourage but they even flew in about 40 vehicles <laughs> armoured vehicles on, on army planes uh, so that they could drive about Glasgow feeling special and safe. I mean, really? What, Glasgow hasn't got any decent cars? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just like, it's such a, oh, it just leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. But as I said, the only thing we can do is vote, I think, firstly vote for women leadership because that's going to be the most important shift that we can make in flipping the script. Um, and secondly, be really, really much more conscious about who we are bringing into power and into leadership roles. It's all absolutely in a mess at the moment. It's corrupt. It's all this weird, you know, and they they are just, oh, it makes me, it just makes my blood boil. So yeah. you'd be pleased to know, you two, that I am going up to COP. I'm speaking in the Blue Zone on uh, uh, on one day and I've got a couple of panels and I'm meeting a few people for some interviews. I'm going to go in my electric vehicle. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so I'm going to drive up there. And I, I was going to get the train, funnily enough, but actually when I get there, I've got, we've got a new magazine coming out on Friday, the COP26 special with The Guardian. And I've got to take up thousands of copies of the magazines to distribute them in various venues. So I wouldn't have actually been able to get, do it on a train because they're too heavy. Um, so I am going electric. That's the kind of leadership I think we all need to look at. Not everybody can afford electric cars. I know that, but you can use a car club or you can, you know, there's all different kind of ways now of driving electric and not having to own electric. Or lease one, lease, lease one. one. Yeah, which is what we do. I think we should have Jarvis for prime minister, the oh, first no. green prime minister. Yes. Uh, I'd rather I have Caroline. Shall I stand? <laughs> 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 Coming up next, Jarvis talks to today's very special guests, Scott and Brett Staniland. So I'm really excited about today's guests. They're two friends of mine who I happened to meet on a press trip a few years ago. You might know one of today's guests from Love Island, 
but we know these guys as leaders of a sustainable fashion world. I'd like to welcome to My Green Podcast, Brett and Scott Staniland. Welcome, guys. Hi, Jarvis. Nice to be here. Good to see you again. It's really nice to see you both. Now, you're both talking to, a, to me separately from, from different locations. Where, where are you both? Yeah, I'm uh, in between work at the minute. So there's been London Fashion Week and I'm in the transition to Paris Fashion Week. So I'm currently sneakily in the basement of a Whole Foods tuning in. Oh, nice. <laughs> Brilliant. So there might be a bit of background noise, but we can, we can deal with that. Thank you. And where are you, Brett? I'm, I'm at home in Leamington Spa. So what I don't want to do is focus on Love Island um, because actually, you know, that's obviously just a, a blip in um, quite an important blip, I might add, but just a blip in what you guys are about. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting you, as I said, at a press trip. Um, I mean, first of all, I was just kind of in awe of, 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 of your um you know, your, your, your likeness, your handsomeness, your, you know, how alike you are. Um, and to be honest, I did dismiss you a little bit in the beginning as like, oh, just these two kind of high candy models that this press company have brought along. Then we sat down and we got chatting and I was like, oh my God, these guys are not only bloody gorgeous, but they're really, really clued up. And what I was most impressed about was your commitment to sustainable fashion. So I want to talk to you about that. I mean, that's like, you know my feelings on fashion. I think it's a, such an unnecessary sector right now. And if the climate crisis is as detrimental as it could possibly be, and we've got to turn things around in the short time we have. But you convinced me that fashion is actually quite relevant. And so I want to just kind of talk about that. So first of all, tell us a little bit individually about what you do, what's your day job, you know, what you focus on when it comes to sustainable fashion. And then we'll have a deeper dive into how you got onto that journey, because has it always been like that for you? But just give us a bit of background first, if you would. Yeah, so um, originally, like none of us kind of knew we were going to go and work in fashion at all when we were younger. Um, it was something that kind of was a happy accident. So we were scouted just to become models, um, literally walking down the street together. Um and yeah, we were just like thrust upon this, this industry. Um, and at the start, we just started working with anyone and everyone. Obviously, your manager sends you a job. You go and work for that brand for two or three days. Then you go home and then you work for someone else. Uh, but after, what would, I'd say about a year or two years, Scott, um, we started to be a little bit more mindful of who we were working for. And, you know, we wanted to be more, rather than just a nameless model um, who just fronts a campaign or whatever, we wanted to be like an actual representative of the brand and almost like an ambassador for the brand as well as the model. Um, and so that's when we kind of used to start to do a deeper dive into like who these brands are and what they represent and how they align with ourselves. Would you, we, would also, you back that up, Scott? Yeah, yeah, we also became aware that we were the tool to for these brands to sell loads of clothes and so like as much <laughs> yeah. as you don't think you're part of the problem inherently you are because they use your image to look attractive and appealing to a consumer yeah and so by looking great and being on the front of billboards or shop windows you're encouraging consumption and that's yeah. where it kind of spiraled for me and I started looking at my own wardrobe yeah gotcha was there what what, what was the kind of the real epiphany moment for you because obviously you were working you know you were you were following through on the contracts that your agency had, had got you. Then you suddenly became more conscious about it. But what was the, what was the suddenly bit? I think for me, it was um, started looking at my own wardrobe and how much of it I actually wore. And it was probably about 20, 25 percent. 
Um, and that kind of got the volume trigger in my mind. But then also it was an autumn winter campaign. And I remember going in and needing a woolly hat. And I ran into the nearest Asda because I was getting food and thought, right, I'm just going to grab a woolly hat. And I turned it inside out and checked the label for some absurd reason and saw it was 100% acrylic. Mm. And in my mind, acrylic was a board counter that I'd made in graphic design when I was at school, <laughs> not some woolly material. And so that led me down the rabbit hole of checking labels and thinking what fabric is and where it comes from. Nice. Yeah, because acrylic essentially is just plastic. I think I, think, I don't think there was a, like a singular epiphanic moment where I was like, All right, oh my God, we need to change. But, you know, being behind the scenes at these brands and going into their showrooms where they um, have all their like their samples. I remember doing one shoot and going for a fitting and it was like, you know, like an office room where they've got like loads of cubicles. It was like a space like that, only all you could see was clothes. And they were like, yeah, this is just our sample set. None of this is even for sale. Oh my God. And they were just clothes that they keep. And I was like, this is insane how many yeah. clothes there were there. I read a statistic just the other day that um, for the 8 billion people on the planet, there were 80 billion clothes made each. I don't know if it was season or each year, but it was an astronomical amount of clothes. So that's essentially 10 items per person, which we all know, you know not everybody's buying that. So, so, you know, is that, is that true? I mean, is that a statistic that kind of rings true in the fast fashion industry? Yeah, I think fast fashion is um, pretty much responsible for that growth as well. I remember there's about 20 year difference between buying 12, 12 items per year per person to pushing over 60 now. Oh and so God. it's that disposability, which I kind of blame fast fashion for, because it's almost cheaper to buy new than repair. It's cheaper to throw it away and get something that's different and so on and so on. I love, I love the fact that you've got people laughing and giggling in the background there. It's great. I know, it's purely to do with the content. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> so, okay. So, I mean, look, this is a, such a poignant subject and, you know, I think we'll get on to solutions, but let's stay with the, the whole of it. I'm reminded of, um, well, look, let, let's look at materials. Let's look at uh, abuse of employees. You know, there's that classic Rana Plaza um, scenario did that did that have a personal impact on you guys when you were consciously wanting to to attune and align with 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 you know with good brands I think when I remember being a little bit younger and like when when you'd see clothes like that are inside out and you just see the label and it'd be like made in Bangladesh and I'd be like I'd look at it and just think well that's quite far away and that's about mm -hmm. as far as it went yeah. but you never connect your garment with an actual person in Bangladesh who sat and made it for you um, and so when that happened and over a thousand people died, um, who garment workers in one single factory when, it, when the building collapsed, I, it, I think it made it really real that there are actually people at the other end of this supply chain. I sit and but I go buy the T-shirt the from like a nice store in a supermarket, in a shopping mall. But there was a person like a few months ago that was sat making it for me. Um, and they're now no longer with us just because no one could be bothered to check in on the building or no one could be bothered to check in on them or, you know, care about their living wage. And yeah. I spent a hundred and hundred quid in a t-shirt. So it was the connection finally for me for, to an actual human being. Yeah. Um, that was a real, it was a real awakening moment, wasn't it? Yeah. I think that's the, that's the main thing that we can do to like get other people to like care, like and show there's people at the heart of this um, in, in the big sustainability spectrum at the heart of it are people. Yeah, I love that because everybody's now talking about, certainly in the business world that I'm in, you know, businesses are, uh, should be human. 
you know, this concept of business, the concepts of consumer, it's all completely disconnected from who we are, conscious beings having a human experience, right? Um, that's, but yeah, That's exactly it. When Brett says the connection to the people and people not caring enough to go and check on it, once you get further down that fashion rabbit hole, it's actually the profitability of not caring as well for those people and those brands that use those factories. And that's when it starts to get really dark that it's of benefit to not care. Yeah, agreed. It's that disconnection. So systemic change, you must have seen on your conscious journey some some amazing changes happening in, in this sector industry what are still the problems and um, we won't dwell on those too much but what are the really amazing solutions that you're proud to be a part of the industry that are coming on you know on, on board in line i think for me um when you see a brand actually care about an indigenous community to the point where we're not just like appropriating their culture to sell clothes, but you when you actually see the people in that in that garment represented, you see a pattern that is hundreds of years old and represents a really small community of people. Not to mention then that the money that they've made from that garment goes back into supporting that community and helping them thrive. They're the changes that I love to see and love being a part of. There's loads of great stuff coming out of like Australia um, where they support their indigenous communities there. I'm like, that's a real world impact where we've, yeah, we've actually made something, but in return, the recyclability of it means that we're helping a community thrive rather than just rip them off for a profit. And yeah, when you see, when you see a company prioritize that over profit, that's when I'm like, right, this is where actual change happens. They've, they've sacrificed a payday to help people. That's like at the heart of where we should be. And yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Such a conscious, wise exactly thing to say I, I love it god I, I hadn't even thought about that i'll dwell on the problem a little bit and for yeah. me the main thing that fashion brands always neglect is overproduction and overconsumption. they always want yeah. to add on a sustainability line or add on an ethical line and not reduce stuff from the bottom of that list that they're pr producing so like we've lost three collections but and we've had to replace it with one sustainability focus collection or whatever it might be um, and one thing that triggered me recently, I spoke to a head of sustainability, a very, very big digital brand that are, don't have any retail space, purely online. And he said, you know, we, the, the amount of our consumers that care about sustainability is really little, but they just shout really loud. So until that gets bigger, we're not going to really put too much focus on X, Y, Z. And I was like, it's a brand's responsibility to tell their consumers what they want. You mm. produce it and they will want to, you can't just wait for a crowd to be big enough to produce for. And so I think brand responsibility is one thing and brands overproduction. The benefit that I really love at the minute are things like closing on Black Friday, which is associated with just buy, buy, yeah. buy. Yeah. Um, and then the new fashion business models, rentals for occasions. There's a whole spectrum of things that people can now cherry pick which ones suit them best for different occasions. And yeah. that obviously ultimately stops people buying willy nilly and disposing of them willy nilly. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's a classic example, which is kind of showing my age really and my level of uh, you know clothes that I buy. But Patagonia, you know, they had that. I would say they're probably a fashion brand, actually. They're kind of, you know, it's outdoor clothing, but it's still fashionable, right, to wear a Patagonia thing. But um, I remember they had that classic advert, which was don't buy this jacket. 
And it was like, you know, the first time we'd ever seen a kind of mainstream fashion clothing brand saying, don't buy it. And essentially the message was, if you're going to buy from us, you buy it once and it will last for life and we'll fix it and repair it. And, you know, and, and we're seeing a lot, lot more of that now in what I would describe as high street fashion, not fast fashion, because there is a difference. What are you seeing that is just super cool and like this is definitely like a brand or an organization that I want to back. You don't need to name names, but you can, if you want to, because, you know, if we can encourage our listeners to go out and buy into these brands, fantastic. But, but what, what case studies are you, are you seeing that you really go, that's really cool. I think just in on a really, there's, there's like some really innovative materials that people are really like investing in to make and they are, they can do amazing things with. But for me, things as simple as, Here's exactly where everything in your garment came from. A traceability receipt, um, like from a brand called Askit. We've read, written about them before. Something as simple as someone just telling us exactly where everything came from, who made it, how much they were paid, how much you're going to pay for this T-shirt, and, and our margin as well. And we'll be completely open and honest with you. I really like getting behind that because brands who are honest about the things that they're not great at are the ones that I can get behind. I'm like... They're not, Patagonia did it too. They're like, we're not a sustainable brand, but we're working on it. And we're trying our best to be as ethical and as conscious and as responsible as we can be. Things like that, I have a lot of time for. And I think we're, we should be willing to let brands try and fail and work on themselves. Um, and so things like that, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Like you're telling us we're doing this not as good as we possibly can right now, but we're on it. Transparency and education, right? Yeah, there's some cool like, the technology side of it, like Hermes and like really luxury fashion houses, are looking at mycelium leather and mushroom and growing it in a in a factory, and those things are really cool. Yeah. But also, I read a sustainability report um, last week, and it was something as simple as like, right, we are helping X amount of farmers transition to an organic plant in from their usual cotton farm. Um, and we're going to subsidize it because we know it's less yield and less profitable and all these things. And I found that really cool because nobody really thinks of a farm when they buy a T-shirt. Mm. But to put it back to farmers and they had loads of research and stats and data and you could tell that they'd been. You could tell that they went in person, which I think is really cool, too. Yeah, I love that. And I love the fact that you've mentioned that because, you know, the materials is, is really important and these these amazing leather alternatives. But just the basic cotton right which is probably the most used substance you know it kind of built the british empire you know the kind of cotton and sugar industries and obviously the issue around that is we're buying non-organic cotton for the majority of our um even if it's got polyester or acrylic or whatever added to it it's still the basic premise so um are you seeing a movement in the kind of as you mentioned farms in the organic uh, way of uh making clothes yeah there's definitely a shift to more organic materials i think brands want to get in savvy to how um good it looks almost in a way to kind of greenwash to say like oh this is a hundred percent organic cotton t-shirt um which you know it is a step in the right direction in terms of like cotton in particular we need much more information the information out there right now which we rely on for the industry about how much cotton is organic and what's not, how much water it uses, the mm. insecticide use and pesticide use. The, statics, the statistics about it are completely lackluster. We are relying on information from years ago that was just basically written in a blog and just regurgitated over and over again. 
So that that's one aspect of the industry we really, really need to work on to move forward. But it's definitely a step in the right direction. We're conscious of the stuff that, that's not great for the planet. We're conscious of um, the fact that farmers don't get paid as much money f- to do that and all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, there's a shift between, be, to go for more natural materials because that's ultimately where we need to be. Government yeah. have also got involved in legislation and uh, blocking cotton from certain parts of the world that they know are not ethically sourced and farmers that are exploited. Yeah. So it, it's great that government are now being become aware of it. It's on the UN website that fashion is the second most polluting industry. And yet infrastructure, legislation and government appeal and approach is kind of way further down the list because fashion's fun and young and cool. And, you know, yeah. And it's like, I'm not into fashion. Well, you get dressed every morning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. When fashion's eradicated completely, when we're not wearing any clothes, basically. (laughs) I think that's that's the goal for me. (laughs) That's when we know we've won. Yeah. Yeah, We we know the temperatures have have stabilized. Maybe it will get so hot that we can't wear clothes anymore. It will be completely a thing of the past. I mean, we joke about it, but obviously it's it's a massive issue for everything related to the climate crisis. Um, I will point out also to our listeners is that both Scott and Brett are our fashion contributors for the My Green Pod website and magazine. And we've been doing that. I think we're about four issues in, aren't we? And I tell you what, I get so many compliments from um, our readers and from our networks about firstly, including fashion from a positive perspective, but more importantly, from a male perspective, which is really interesting. So uh, thank you for being our contributors for that. Now, I'm going to move this on to media and the importance that media plays as a role, because obviously there's a lot of hype in fashion. You know, one of you, Brett, (laughs) pointing a finger, (laughs) was very recently on the biggest TV show, uh, I think, that's ever existed on the planet, Um, Love Island. Um, I did get sucked into it because my mate Brett was on it. So I did watch it. Um, Only, I might add, when you were on it, didn't give it any more airtime than that. Now, why did you do that? I mean, what was what was the reason for it? How did you get involved? And 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 you know, what were you hoping to achieve from it? So they'd they'd asked a couple of times previously if like each of us, like both of us, would do the show. We've kind of said no in the past. Um, obviously, for like the reason, the obvious connotations that go with the show, it's not really our thing. And everyone I say, everyone who I speak to knows that I've done the show. Are like, this show is just so not you at all. And I'm like, I know <laughs> that's one of the appeals of it, I guess. Um, obviously aside from all the finding a partner and finding love and all that, um, I went in open-minded to do all that, of course, but one of the, um, one of the other main, main, I don't know, I guess, appeals of doing the show was that the show is so heavily connected with fast fashion. It is intertwined with everything that the show is. Um, fast fashion brands, haven't they? The whole show is funded and propped up by fast fashion partners. Um, and the people on the show, it stereotypically come out and they are then influencers for these fast fashion partners. Um, and so I hoped to have done the show and bring a conversation that none of them, none of the people in there, none of the audience had ever really given much thought to. Um, so there was like the sustainable fashion element people had never really heard of. So I went on and I made sure that I did not take any of the show's clothes. So the show provides you with an abundance <laughs> of clothes. Like an, <laughs> when I say abundance, it's frightening how many clothes are at your um, disposal. Um, so I made sure I didn't take any of the clothes, any of the clothes that were provided, because they could then 
in the contract, they can essentially like screenshot the television and use your image on their website, in their e-commerce, and basically use you as a model or an ambassador right. yeah. in any way they like because you've worn their clothes on the show. Yeah. So I made sure I didn't do that. And I think I'm the first person to ever do the show and not take any of the free clothes. Um, the other thing was like to represent someone who's not really been represented on the show before, like a different aspect, different um, take on masculinity, different take on um, a man who works in fashion um, and a different like kind of intelligence aspect, I guess, because I'm an academic first and foremost. Scott's like shaking his head, not that. Yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> We're going to come to you, Scott, I promise. We're going to get <laughs> your take career, on this. <laughs> my career first is academia. So I started a PhD then I got scouted to be a model and then I worked in the fashion industry. So I come from a heavily academic background too, which of course isn't really represented on the show either. So there was these things that I really, really thought this is a good opportunity. And I was aware that it was a risk as well, because when you do a show like that, there's going to be brands that don't want to work with you anymore, which has happened this week. And it's been rough to, it's been a tough pill to swallow, but um, oh, really, you've yeah, had, had yeah, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. This week, like some, some um, publications that I've really, really respected and admired over the years have said that they won't work with me. But equally, I came out and there was a piece um, in Vogue.com, like the American Vogue and Vogue Runway about me. And it was exactly the kind of conversations I wanted to have about like not doing the fast fashion element and like bringing a conversation of um, timeless fashion and clothes that are supposed to last forever um, to an audience that have never really heard of it. So yeah, there was a few... There's a few appeals to doing the show. Obviously, when people say it's just so not you, I'm like, I oh, know it's very, very not me. No, it's a really, really lovely answer. I'm gonna gonna come to you, Scott, but I do ask to ask the question: Did you like Priya? Was like, was there something going on there? Um, for about for the first few days, yeah. Um, there was a few red flags that I was probably dismissing because of the show. I and think I, I saw really that have, knowing you. Yeah, I didn't really in have your mannerisms. <laughs> I didn't have much choice in terms of like people whose head could be turned or be swayed. So it was, yeah. 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 No, it was that take it or leave it. It's like, yeah, we, we're <laughs> talk, not that. talk to the hand or talk to Priya basically. Yeah. Literally. We're not actually that close right now. Let's say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, knowing you, um, I could see that, but I'll tell you what I really admired about you on the show was just your gentleness, but your gentlemanliness, if there is such a word, it would, you just handled yourself really, really well. Were you proud of him, Scott? I was actually because I think he had more than enough to fly off the rails at one point. <laughs> plenty, and plenty of uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was enough an- ammunition there for him to be um, more agitated than he let on, and I think the way he went about it was professional. And I know Brett's Brett's almost too kind in those respects sometimes. Like he'd rather not make someone look as bad as they have been, which you know I might not have been so kind. <laughs> Yeah, it's a nice quality to have, uh, especially on a show like that. I mean, my I came from one of those shows. I mean, mine was a bit different to yours. I was living on a landfill. You know, you were living on a beautiful island. But yeah, my first exposure to sustainability was through a television show. So I can empathize with you. Just tell me a little bit about, you know, you were running his uh, social media account while, while, you know, while Bro was, was, was on the telly. Um, and you had some not very nice uh, stuff going on. Um, I don't want to dwell on it at all too much, but has there been like lots of positive stuff that's come off the back of it now? Has it, has it worked in, yeah. in, 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 a, in a positive way? So originally there was like a recurring theme and the negative stuff was all about my image, which obviously when Scott's handling my social media, my image is his image too. Mm. So um, 
reading all these horrible comments about how you look as an identical twin is not it's not going to be nice and there was there was lots of comments as well like really slanderous comments that w- just weren't true but you feel the need to defend yourself and yeah. have people who have a character reference because they'll they'll show something in the show not show my full reply and then people are like oh my god he's this 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 and this and all my friends are like, oh, my God, he's so not those things. Like, he's literally a climate activist, a feminist, writes about Black Lives Matter and, like, cares about injustice and all of these stuff, like, women of colour and workers' rights and exploitation across the world. And then for people to, like, be really offensive um, about being, like, super privileged, out-of-touch, white, privy guy mm-hmm. um, was, like, hard for my friends to read, and particularly Scott as well, because we're very, very similar. Yeah, I mean, my feeling is that Scott was more protective of you because of you than he was of himself, because that's just how you two are. You're yeah, just, I think know, that was why two halves of a whole, aren't you? After <clears throat> two days of reading like really horrible messages, I had to hand it over to a friend to manage one of the platforms because I was reading it and taking it too personally. And yeah. they'd seen such a small fraction of Brett and it yeah. was pure appearance-based and not personality-based or not passion-led and all of those things. So I handed it over. And then once I'd kind of settled after a couple of days, we said, right, let's, let's take the narrative of these things and make them funny again, because you can have a laugh and poke fun at yeah. yourself without it being toxic and horrible. Yeah. And so me and a couple of friends started brainstorming every day what we were going to put out and really start poking fun at us both, really. Uh, and that's what changed. And since coming off the show, the stuff that has been put out there and the things that Brett has spoke about have really not gone in his favour because he would speak about them regardless. But it's nice for people to have a reference point now as to what he is actually like outside of the show too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree. I agree. And anybody that wants to know more about both of you, uh, you've got great uh, social media accounts. Um, we'll, we'll list them in the in the in the in the blurb at the bottom. Um, and also to read about your, you know, your, you know, whatever's gone on in that quarter in fashion in our magazine. And I think people can really get to know about you through that medium as well. Um, but let's draw a line under Love Island. Thank you. Probably none of us will ever watch it again unless, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> unless they're doing some, uh, you know, brilliant people from the past. And then I might tune in, which would be you, of course. It'll be me so, when I go on next year. <laughs> yeah, you've got to now, haven't you? <laughs> so, that I mean, I could just imagine them absolutely dwelling on trying to get both of you on and like just seeing the fight between the girls, uh, the twins. It just would have been really good TV. So it was I'm really, glad you didn't really do weird. That. I'm getting loads of comments now. Like, why didn't Brett tell anyone he was a twin whilst he was on the show? And I was like, it was like the third thing I said when I sat I down there. I so they didn't air it. And obviously now it's like, oh, Brett, oh my God, Brett's a twin. Like they're super identical. I'm like, yeah, I'm not. My name is Twin Brett. Like all my brand is <laughs> obviously I'm a twin. It was really peculiar to see they didn't air it. And I was like, why didn't you tell everyone? Yeah. Like I was, yeah. I don't know, yeah, hiding it. It is amazing the power of TV and the edit- yeah. editors and the producers and what they can basically portray. Um, yeah. And that's, that was a big lesson for me. Oh, uh, yeah. We, we, I understood going in, they have complete control of the narrative. They film for 24 hours a day whilst you're in bed, everything, and have yeah. an hour. And there's 12 of you, so they have to divide that up too. Um, yeah. And... You, I watched, but the reason I stopped watching it is because I watched conversations I was a part of and be like, that's not how that went at all. Like they've yeah. missed three replies that I jumped in with. Um, and yeah, you know, I feel like there was, there was characters we all had to fulfill. I was kind of maybe the um, intelligent, reserved, boring one. 
And as soon as you get branded as that, like, right, that's Brett's character. And then yeah. you've got Toby with Super Fawn and yeah. Teddy yeah. and Faye who have like some, some arguments, but you know, they're, they're great together and all that stuff. They were like our characters. So yeah. you just have to take yeah. it all with a pinch of salt. You do, you do. And I know the world very, very well, uh, having come, come from that world. But as I say, what we're going to do now is we're not going to draw a line under Love Island. We're going to burn a line under Love Island. So we're not going to go back to that bit again. We're going to come on to just a couple of just fun questions, really, that we ask all of our guests. And we need you to, to both answer. But outside of fashion, how do you individually or together lead a sustainable life? Like, What do you do in your own lives? I think we've got into some really good habits since that because it's one of the most regular things we get asked and people always think we're going to relate it to fashion but we think changing energy provider is something most of the population can do and shopping for food better is also one that every, everybody has to eat at some point and so we change those two things we're very privileged in that we can shop for food every day mm-hmm. so we do not waste any foods um, and then the third thing is water. We're very passionate about water and water usage. And so looking at your own consumption of water and treating it with a bit more respect, because I think, especially in the UK, we're very privileged with the water that we have. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, thinking about how we consume water as well. Nice, nice. And Brett? Yeah, I was going to say, like, one of my pet peeves is going into a supermarket and seeing food that has a natural protective layer covered in plastic and then put in a plastic bag. It winds me up. I had I tell this story on, I think I told it to you on Clubhouse a couple of times, where I saw someone going home and they had like um, oranges, lemons, banana, like loads of these fruits all wrapped in plastic. And then she also left with an ironing board wrapped in plastic as well. Like none oh of those God. things need protecting that much. They all yeah. have a natural protective layer. Um, so yeah, just like walk into a supermarket and just think about that. Can you put them all in one bag even? Just reduce it that much. Um, yeah, or leave the leave the package in there as our co yeah. co presenter Joe Wood does. She just trips trips all the plastic off and goes, "You deal with this. This is your this is your problem." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, we we try and walk most places that we can. Obviously, we we all drive electric cars here too. Um, just I I always tell people think of the write down the five things that you do the most of, or like might be eat the most of things like that, and try and change those things because that'll be where you have where you can have the biggest impact. Oh, I love that. So the things that you do most, the five things you do most, try and make them more sustainable. Well, that brings me nicely on to the next kind of thing was going to ask you for a tip. So maybe you could elaborate a bit on that. But you know, what one tip would you give to our audience um, to help them leave a, a leader greener lifestyle? So I think, Brett, you've, you've certainly said yours, the five, the five things that you do the most. <laughs> I would say um, I think people tr- think that they have to do everything. And I think that is overwhelming to everybody. And so like using Brett's list idea, just pick one thing and be really good at it. Or look at the spectrum of sustainability, look at food, clothes, water, travel, all of those things and see where your wins are and just pick a few wins and go from there. Yeah, I love that. I love that. We've got this section on the podcast, which is Let's Talk About Six. And it's basically what we've learned in 14 years of of behavior change, what people are willing to do. And it's, you know, the things that you've absolutely identified, what we put in our bodies, on our bodies, using our homes uh, and where, of course, uh, how we buy our energy, which you've talked about, how we travel from A to B and how we go on holiday, which none of us are doing right now anyway. And yeah. if we are, it's just kind of local. Well, so. I mean, the other thing I was going to say was um, don't place such a massive value on new stuff. 
We can buy old stuff and we can borrow stuff and it is just as good as new stuff. So buy yeah. less new stuff. And that could be literally like furniture, clothes, cars, all of that. We, we in the UK in particular, are obsessed with owning things because we think it gives our life value. We don't need to own that much stuff. I love that. We went to a rummage sale yesterday. There was, a, there was about 15 ladies all over. Not some men, actually, but a majority of ladies all over about 60 or 70. And we had such a lovely time just kind of rummaging through their yeah. stuff that they wanted to. It took me back to my childhood because rummage sales and, you know, and flea markets and car boot sales were just like what we did. It was just it, great fun. So. It's so rewarding as well when you find like a gem that's old. Like I have a coat that was from the 80s and I'm like, I look at it and think, I wonder who wore this before me. So interesting. Yeah. And like, even, even when on the inside it's got little tufts and like, scrapes and I think I wonder what they were doing like it's come from Milan and someone else had a whole life with it and I'm like I find that so much more interesting than going and buy something brand new yeah agreed if clothes could talk eh (laughs) it's been amazing talking to you guys I've really missed you uh you've been both been so busy that we've not had a chance so on a personal level I've missed you I'm sure that our listeners have missed you because they haven't been seeing you what certainly one of you on the telly just thank you so much big huge appreciation to you both and i know you've probably got to get back to something very important so appreciate your time thanks guys really Scott appreciate it's been a pleasure Jarvis, you're such a thanks, great Jarvis. guy in this space and we really appreciate you too so um thanks again for the platform and all the opportunity we we, we really appreciate it So that's it for another episode of My Green Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and gained some really useful tips on living ethically. If you did, please subscribe to My Green Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to give us a five-star rating so that others wanting a greener lifestyle can find us. Thank you to our guests, the handsome Brett and Scott Stanniland. Follow them on Twin Scott and at Twin Brett. Follow us on at Joe Wood Official and at MyGreenPod. For more tips and the latest ethical news, go to MyGreenPod.com, where you can also read Weston Scott's piece on organic cotton. Or email us hello at MyGreenPod.com. See you next time. Bye! Bye. My Green Podcast was presented by Jarvis Smith, Katie Hill and Joe Wood. It was produced by Mike Hansen for Pod People Productions. Music by The Phoenix Rose. Pod People.